welcome you tonight to our meeting and uh, just remind you again that tomorrow night and then Wednesday night we'll be here again at 7. And I'm going to ask our, a couple of our fellows to come. We're going to receive our offering tonight. Uh, I don't know if we're really prepared. Yes, we are prepared. <laughs> of course we're prepared. This offering tonight is going to go to Brother Lindsay and uh, also tomorrow night. And we just want to be a blessing to him. I know they've traveled all the way from Nashville to come here on the road. And uh, that's an expensive thing. And they're going to be traveling back to Nashville when they leave here. Uh, we just want to be a blessing to them. So would you give tonight from your heart a love gift to the Lord, but to Brother Lindsay tonight as an expression of your love for the Lord. If you're making a check, go ahead and make it to the church, Community Christian Fellowship, and then we will just give him one check when he leaves. All right? Let's just pray right now. Chris, why don't you just pray for the offering right, right where you are. All right? Yes, bless the Lord. you like the brother didn't have any money or finance, he just said the Lord told him to take the ring off his finger and put it in, give it to me. That was all right, too. <laughs> I didn't object to that. I wish I had a thousand people right now to do that. Amen? I get, 25, I get the $25,000 I need to publish my memory course. Hallelujah. And God's going to give it to me. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm happy. The offer taken up? Good. You know, never can tell what I'm going to do in the pulpit or outside the pulpit. I never will forget one time I was over in the state of Arkansas and supposed to preach, conduct a meeting there in one of the larger counties of the state and the largest church, largest church in that county. All the doctors and the professional men, president of the Junior Chamber of Commerce, the bankers and all, attended this church. This is a Methodist church. I was supposed to begin a revival there. And the Lord told me, you take the text on whosoever is born of God committeth not sin. For the seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The devil said, if you preach that in the pulpit Sunday morning, you'll not preach Sunday night. And you haven't got in very little money to go on. <laughs> and you had better just calm it down, keep quiet about it, and don't preach on that text. Well, the devil told me that, told me that Saturday night, and he told me that Sunday morning. Now I got up and opened the Bible up and read, Whosoever is born of God committeth not sin, for the seed remaineth in him, it cannot sin, because it's born of God. I said, if you're born of God, you live holy. If you don't live holy, you're not born of God. Uh oh I said, an honest man don't steal, cause he's honest. A truthful man don't lie, cause he's truthful. A pure man don't commit adultery, cause he's pure. A sober man don't get drunk, because he's sober. And a child of God don't sin because they're a child of God. I didn't mean by that they couldn't sin. I can't eat a polecat, but I'm not eating one. I'm capable of doing a lot of things I'm not doing. Come on. Now, the Bible teaches that, that Christians have the power to overcome the devil. I believe that. Every step of the way, 365 days a year, 9 hours, 6 minutes, and 6 seconds, you can slap the devil down. 
Amen. Now, I've always found that it pays to obey God when you start in the ministry, when you feel led of the Lord to preach on a subject. I was down in, down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and going to speak at the First Baptist Church. I just conducted a big, large campaign in Laura, Mississippi, had thousands of people turned to God. This was not in recent years, been many years ago. I was to speak in the First Baptist Church in the city of Laura, Hattiesburg. Walking down the street of the town, a merchant met me and said, You are the minister that's going to have the great campaign over at Laurel? Yes. I understand you're going to begin a revival at First Baptist Church Sunday morning. I said, That's correct. I, I'm a member there. Do you know Reverend Tucker? I said, No, I don't know Brother Tucker. He said, uh, Whatever you do, don't say anything about Brother Tucker at the First Baptist Church. I said, Why? He said, They didn't like him too well. I said, why didn't they like him? He said, because he talked about smoking tobacco so much. And said, whatever you do Sunday morning when you go there in the pulpit, don't say anything about Brother Tucker. And if you want to be liked by the people, don't say a thing in the world about smoking tobacco. He said, because all the deacons of the church smoke tobacco. Said, said, I advise you not to say anything about it. Sunday morning come around, I looked over the audience and told them about the prospects of having a great campaign in the city to win the loss to Christ. And I said, I was walking down your prayer city the other day evening. I run across a merchant. He is a member of this congregation. He asked me, did I know Reverend Tucker? And I said, I, said, I did explain that I didn't. And then he informs me that you people in this church didn't like Reverend Tucker. And I inquired why. And he said, because Reverend Tucker talked about smoking tobacco too much. And he advised me, whatever I did this morning, not to say a word in the word about smoking tobacco. He said, because all the deacons of the church use it. <laughs> well, brethren, I'll give you my word of honor. I'll not say another word about the stinking, dirty, filthy, rotten habit of smoking tobacco. I preached on the blood of Christ, and people got saved. I walked out in the vestibule of the church, and one of the deacons walked up to me and said, Reverend, he said, uh, I was one of those deacons that had the stinking, dirty habit. But I quit smoking, and today I stopped right now. I said, thank God there be one less stinking deacon in the Baptist church. Always, God has taken me over the... For 55 years, I've sought to please Him above every human being. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> I, I never will forget as a lad, I, as a young preacher, I had to work in the coal mines and, and also in the logging camps to make a living. Back in that day and hour, you could buy a chicken dinner for 15 cents if you had the 15 cents. You could buy a cold drink for a nickel. And yet it worked all day for uh, ten hours, or five cents an hour in a coal mine, eight hundred feet under the ground, and age didn't make a difference. I was working in a coal mine at fifteen years old. Come on, loading coal. We had a man in that mine that worked by the name of Manasco. And I, he was every Saturday night he got drunk. He drank too much. In fact, if you drink any, you drink too much. 
and he uh, he he also chewed tobacco. And he, his job was leading that old blind mare outside the mines, loaded down with a slit of co- uh, with coal in the, in, the, in, the, in a little bitty truck, I mean a wagon. He'd, he'd take that coal out of the mines. And that old mare, that mare had stopped in the mines, and Brother Manasseh would take his, take his uh, tobacco out, cut him, uh, t- chew a tobacco, put it in his mouth, and then he'd turn around and cut another piece and give it to the old blind mare. You see, the mare was a plug mare. And Brother Manasco, I tried to lead him to the Lord, but I didn't have that privilege. Another brother led him to Christ. And he got praying that God would take the habit away, the chewing tobacco away from him. He got praying that God would take the habit away from him, and God took the habit, desire part away from him. But he still had to carry around that chewing tobacco for the old mare. Always had to give that mare a plug of tobacco. He was a plug mare. So finally he, one day he was stopped, the mare, old mare stopped, he cut out, started cutting the piece of tobacco off. Brother Blankenship looked him in the face and said, Brother Manasco, you mean to tell me that Jesus Christ saved you from sin and took a desire for tobacco away from you? And you still have to give that old blind mare? Why can't he, why can't he take a, the, the habit away from the old blind mare too? Why can't he take the appetite of that tobacco away from him? He said he can, and down on his knees he went. He prayed, oh, Lord, you know I don't want to carry this tobacco around. It's temptation to me. Take it away from this man. Cure it up to the smoking tobacco. Chewing tobacco. And he reached in his pocket, pulled out the old tobacco, club of tobacco, threw it in the wall against the side of the, uh, side of the, side of the mines and said, come on, man. And the man walked away. And Blankenship gave his heart to God. Tell you right now, God can take tobacco away from an old man. He got no problem with you. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I'm happy tonight. <laughs> Glory. I'm reminded of fella. I, sometimes people get so sad and so dis put themselves in such a bracket of life they can't enjoy life. Come on. I'd rather be poor with joy in my heart and joy in my life and victory in my life and peace in my life than have be the richest man in this country in a hospital. Amen? Glory. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Glory. I remember one morning I was at the campus at Berkeley. And I stood before that crowd of people, and I, I, I they gathered up to hear me speak. <laughs> and I said, "Good morning." The little hippie looked up at me and hollered, and "said What's good about it?" I said, "Oh no, he looked in the mirror again." <laughs> Hallelujah! Told him down here to University of Florida. When I went around the last time, I said, "There's some, there's a great deal, a great deal of, 
advantages of being blind, I don't have to look at you punk rockers. <laughs> if I had to look at you with that hairdo that you've got, I'd, I'd probably laugh myself to death. <laughs> and I'm enjoying life too much. <laughs> Glory. Now, I've got a good subject tonight. I want to speak on the world and the Holy Spirit. It has been my privilege to study Calvin, teach Calvinism in a Bible school, and to study my brother Armenian theology, Western theology, moral governance, Romanism, you name any type of theology on earth, it's been my privilege to study it. And among the many theological studies that I've endeavored to understand and find out, one of the great problems, one of the greatest mistakes I found in all of making, and it's made among full gospel in this country just as much as it is among Calvinism. Come on. This is what I'm going to deal with tonight. If you would have went into John Calvin's theology, he would have told you that the Spirit of God must draw me into Christ. And the Spirit only draw those that were pre-foreknown and predestined to be saved. Come on. And that in the, the Spirit, of, of, there would be irresistible grace granted to them. They could not resist the grace of God. They would have to surrender their will to Christ. If you went my soul, he believed the Holy Spirit would sinners to God. If you went into Roman theology, they would tell you the same thing, that the Holy Spirit woos men to Christ. They claim that the Holy Spirit abides in the church, and of course to their thinking is the only, true, only church that abides is the Roman church. I'm not going to go into long detail with that now. I think this case of ignorance. Hear me. If you went in, my brother, to the Wesleyan doctrine, Wesley maintained that the Spirit of God had to draw men to Christ. Maintained the position that it had to draw men to Jesus. If you went into moral government, they would tell you that the Spirit of God had to draw, change the will of man and draw him to God. All the records, all the theologians have been wrong on this score. Come on. I've had people come to me and tell me my lost loved ones are going to be saved because the Bible said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy household. And they took it conclusively that if they believed in Jesus Christ, that meant their whole household is going to be saved. So they quit praying for it. They quit witnessing to him. And the tears quit flowing down their cheek, and they quit being burdened for them, and quit testifying about the grace of God to them. Come on. And as a result, their loved ones are still lost and on their way to hell. You hear me a moment tonight. They misunderstood that passage because that passage yielded to the jailer. And when the Peter had been loosened from the prison, he thought his life was going to be taken if he allowed the prisoner to escape and his whole household, my brother would receive punishment because he failed. 
and fear. So Paul, here in the Bible, makes it clear that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is simply telling that jailer, you'll not only be delivered, delivered from persecution and opposition, come on, but your household will be secure. And it had reference to an earthly position on earth. Come on. Had no reference to the salvation of a soul there. You'll find it to the salvation of a soul is, mis- is wrong in the, in, the stu- in the sense of study. If I, by faith, can claim my lost loved ones to be saved, by faith, claim they're going to be saved anyhow, then they don't ever have to hear the word to have faith. Come again. They don't have to hear the word to have faith. They don't have to receive the word to have faith. And they don't have to breathe the word to be saved. Come on. If I can breathe for them, then automatically they don't need to believe. Catch it? Oh, you can believe all you want to that your loved ones are going to go to heaven. If they don't believe in Christ, they'll scream in hell under judgment. Come on, let's get it straight. All your faith in the world will never take them to heaven. Many a mother has wanted to plead for the salvation of her soul, of the soul of her loved ones, and those loved ones went to hell. More, somebody said that we, me and my husband traveled around the world in over 80 nations telling the world and winning the men and women to Jesus Christ, and we lost our own children. Come on. Many a sainted mother and father, their own loved ones die and go to hell without Christ. Come on. You must understand, you must understand the Holy Spirit's work among the world. One of the great hindrances of revival in our generation is not because of discipline. Not because, my brother, they've been regimented to pray. Not because they've been reg- uh, regimented, my brother, to pass the greatest hindrance, my brother, to the church in our generation of having the kind of awakening they should have is a lack of knowledge concerning the Holy Spirit's work in the world. There are, there are students of the Bible that turn to the second chapter of the book of Joel. And said in the last days, said, God, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. Doesn't read that way in Joel. Said, Joel reads, it should come to pass after those days, saith the Lord God, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. And Peter did not quote the passage as it reads in Acts, the second chapter. He did not quote it as it read in the book of Joel. Because Joel deals with a distinct process concerning the nation. And Peter on the day of Pentecost was preaching to the Hebrew people. He said, Ye men of Judea, ye dwellers in Jerusalem, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. He didn't preach to a Gentile on the day of Pentecost. Come on. He preached to the Hebrew nation. That's the reason he quoted the prophet Joel. When he went down to Cornelius' household, he didn't quote the prophets. Why? Because they are Gentiles. They didn't have the prophets. Now, let's get some things straightened out here. George Prosser was the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. Was it fulfilled in the day of Pentecost? Never. Then there's a student, there's a thought that says to us 
there's going to be an early and latter rain. The early rain took place at Pentecost in the last days. God's going to suddenly pour out His Spirit. They're going to have a latter rain here. Come on. Look, God, a lot of sincere people believe that. But they don't know prophecy. And they don't know Israel. Being ignorant of the Judaism, ignorant of the law, ignorant of the Torah, and ignorant of the promise of God in the Old Testament. They take verses of the Bible in the Old Testament and apply it to the church when they're not related to the church. Come on. The nation was promised the restoration of the land in the book of Joel, dealing with the day of the Lord. And when Christ comes, He's going to establish His millennial reign. He's going to allow the land to prosper. He's going to allow the wheat fields to give forth its grain. And the elm tree is going to produce and going to blossom. And all Jerusalem is going to be flourished, my brother. And all that and God's going to give them the early and latter rain in the first month. They never had the early and latter rain in the first month in the history of Israel. I believe they had it before Adam ever sinned. But in the history of Israel, they never had the first and latter, early and latter rain in the same month. But they're going to have it in the early and latter rain during the millennial reign of our Lord. Come on. And when they have the earth, after the early and latter rain, He's going to pour out His Spirit. Read it in your Bible. It should come to pass after those days. After what days? After you have the early and latter rain. After God restores everything that the pommel worm and canker worm are destroyed. What is the pommel worm and canker worm? But those insects that, that will destroy your wheat fields if you don't keep the law of God. Come on. And all the destruction and all the curse that came because men didn't keep the law of the Old Testament. All that curse is going to be removed. And after it's removed, He's going to pour out His Spirit in all flesh. Come on. Read it. The early latter rain could have no reference to a spiritual application. If you know Israel and know the land was promised to them and the restoration of their land. But the eye, the concept is built in the world today is that the Spirit of God moving all over the whole world. And therefore the whole world is going to turn to God. And everybody around the country in the various pulpits are hollering, Well, it's the move of God! I had a fellow come on, come on the campus at Berkeley. He threw his feet in the air and said, Glory to God forever! We're going to take this campus for Jesus! They, he said, I want to pray with everybody who wants to be prayed for. And every communist and socialist and radical walked up there to be prayed for. I feel so sorry for the man. They were just making light. They sat around and made light of him. Just made light of it, laughed about it, joked about it, went away from there, and I said, Come on, brother, let's go down here and get some coffee. I want to inform you right now. I've heard him tell this from the pulpit that in the midst of all the great ball games of the country, right in the midst of all the great ball games, they're suddenly going to stop. The Spirit of God is going to move all over the place, and they're going to weep and cry, and they're going to get out of the breach, and they're going to turn to God. And the whole audience was shouting. Then I've heard it over TV that all time is turning to the Lord. Didn't know they were not still smuggling Bibles in China. Then I heard it on TV that the, the gospel is going behind the iron curtain. Well, I, I 
wish the Soviet Union would let down the bars and quit smuggling. But we wouldn't have to smuggle Bibles in, the, in, the, in behind the Iron Curtain. Come on. We hear about revivals of this age and hour, and you've got more than more prostitutes on the streets of this country than you've got my brother Sunday school teachers. You've got more uh, drug addicts and you, uh, drug pushers than we've got preachers in this country. We've got more drunks than we've got Christians. Come on, let's get to you downright honest. We butcher one million to five hundred thousand babies every year, unborn children, and we call ourselves a Christian nation. We're more a nation of infidels and murders and thugs and thieves. You know, I like that. You're supposed to wave a flag and say, God, this nation under God with a champagne glass in the other hand. Then you're a Christian. (laughs) You hear me a moment or two. I was walking out of the full gospel businessmen's meeting. World Convention in, 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 in the city of San Francisco, where I'd been a guest speaker. Walking me was in an international direction. We walked outside, uh, outside that convention. And he said, Brother, this whole town's going to turn to God. This whole community, this whole state of California is going to be moved. I never had such a sermon. We never had such a can- convention in our lives. We're going to, this whole Western hemisphere is going to move with the power of God. I said, you think so, brother? He said, you do, don't you? I said, no, sir. I said, look across the street over there. Oh, that's some young, girl, young girls and boys just coming out of a dance. I said, young girls? Well, you think you're kidding, sir. That's not young girls. they got girls' clothes on. But they're not girls. They're boys. And if you put a badge on me, I can rest more people... More peaceful people within ten blocks of this uh, uh, convention. I can rest more people than you had in the convention. That a bunch of queers. Hmm. We don't recognize the sinfulness of man around about us. As long as the church has got this idea that we're going to have a great wonderful revival in our day and time. We haven't expecting it, doing nothing in the world about it. Come on. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I almost like the crowd that said persecution's coming down the way and it'll only make the devil mad in the present tense. <laughs> You'll not have a revival until the church understands how the Holy Spirit operates for the sinner. Let me call your attention to a few factors. The Holy Spirit is God. I think that's undebatable in this crowd. If the Holy Spirit is God, He does a perfect work. Is that right? If the Holy Spirit does a perfect work, then, then, uh, then my brother, everyone that the Holy Spirit works on or deals with and can receive that work, must receive it. Because the Holy Spirit can't fail. Right? And if the Holy Spirit is to win everybody to God, why isn't everybody on earth saved? Come on. Come on now. Why isn't everybody that hears the gospel saved? 
I would to God that everybody that ever heard this preacher preach that got saved. Man, day alive, earth wouldn't hold me. I'd explode for joy. The rapture, I'd go whether the rapture took place or not. <laughs> Hear me right now. I want to inform you right now. All that's heard me preach of it haven't found Christ. Many of them are still rejecting the Savior. Now, I want to ask you why. Were they predetermined by the Lord, foreknown and predetermined by the Lord, to reject Christ as the Calvinist claim? Come on. Well, if the Holy Spirit wants it to God, I'd have to believe that. For I believe that the Holy Spirit cannot fail unless it was His will to fail. Come on, you catch what I mean? Now, if the Holy Spirit doesn't intend to win men to God, whose job is it to win men to Christ? The only, the only, the only ones involved in it is the body of Christ, the church. If we recognize the Holy Spirit is not to win our sinful companions and sinful associates to Jesus, we'll recognize the Holy Spirit's purpose is not that, then we, we'll realize that it's our purpose, God's purpose in our life, and we'll do something about it. Come on. Your witness is going to determine whether your loved ones and friends go to heaven or hell. Come on. Let's find out what the Scripture has to say now. It's not according to the, the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. Then don't believe it. John 14 and verse 16 says, I'll pray the Father and He'll send you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot, cannot, cannot receive. For they see Him not, neither know Him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Last night I told you the Holy Spirit of body with the church, 365 days a year, nine hours, six minutes, and six seconds. Tonight I tell you that the Holy Spirit is also with the world. Not, uh, uh, also with the world. He abides in this world right now. Come on. And he abides to deal with the sinful world you and I live in. And his work is carried on now. He doesn't try to do things. He does things. What is the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the sinner? The sinner cannot receive the work of the Spirit according to this verse. Turn with me to also to the Corinthian letter. Paul says in plain words, The natural man receiveth not the things that be of the Spirit, neither can he know them. Come on. They're foolishness unto him. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, whereby we freely know the things given us of God. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, not the wisdom of this world, nor the prince of this world that come to naught. We speak a hidden wisdom which none of the prince of this world knew. Had they known, they wouldn't crucify the Lord of glory. The world by its wisdom knew not God. Come on. 
The Bible fully declares, and there's not a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says sinful men can receive the work of the Spirit, understand the work of the Spirit, or receive the things of the Spirit. No wonder Peter said, uh, I mean, Stephen said in his unusual, beautiful message, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and, uh, uh, uncircumcised in heart, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, even as your fathers. Come on. This is not, Peter, Stephen was not only applying that to the people then, but he applied it to past ages. The Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Truth. What he's ever said and pronounced in the world is truth. Come on. What is the Holy Spirit's attitude concerning sinners in the Old Testament? Turn with me to Genesis 3, 15 and let's read. God said to the devil, Because thou hast done thus, I will put enmity between thy seed, the seed of Satan, and the seed of the woman, the virgin-born child. And thou seed, the seed of Satan, will bruise his heel, and the seed of the woman shall bruise thy head. There's enmity between the seed of Satan, the wicked, the world, and Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. There's opposition to treat each other. If, if my brother, the world, the world can receive Christ, there'll never be that opposition. Come on. The Holy Spirit here is letting us know that the world is going to be Christ rejecting. Come on. This is torn out, born out to every verse of the Bible. I'll dare you to give me one passage of Scripture concerning the death of Christ on the cross that doesn't point to the fact that the world rejects Christ. He is who, who, who hath read our report and to whom hath the arms of the Lord been revealed. For he grew up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. There was no form nor calmness about him that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man. Come on. As from one whom man hid their face. That don't sound like acceptance. He is despised that we receive, uh, yet we esteem it not, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Come on. I want you to know the Old Testament prophets said that by the Spirit of the Lord proclaimed that Christ would be rejected by godless world. Come on. There are in the old te- in the record of the Bible, there are eighteen prophecies of the Bible pointing to the Israel that Israel would reject Christ. I, he said of Israel all day long, if I stretch forth my hands to a gainsaying people. Read it in, my, in that Romans 7, 11 chapter. The Bible tells you concerning Israel that they would have eyes to see and not see, ear to hear and not hear, heart to understand and not understand. God said concerning Israel, uh, Behold, I work a wonder in your day which you'll not believe, though a man heard. Uh, told you. Come on. You'll not believe. God said they'd remain in unbelief. How dare you to take the language of the Bible and show me one testimony of the Spirit of God that sinners would receive Christ. The Old Testament rings with the doctrine of Savior's coming to be rejected. 
Our Savior is coming to be despised. Our Savior is coming to be turned to naught. A Savior is coming that people are going to hide their face from Him. A Savior is coming that's going to be rejected of Israel, rejected of sinners, that's going to be crucified, nailed to a cruel cross, and is going to rise the third day. <laughs> Glory. The message of the Holy Spirit is that men are going to reject Jesus. Come on. You tell me that well, many a person says, my girl's a good girl, but she's not a Christian. She's a Christ-rejecting devil. My boy's not a good boy, but he's not a Christian. He's a Christ-rejecting sinner. Come on. You kid yourself. You pacify that situation in your whole life, and they'll die and go to hell. Remind me of a woman that called me long distance from Seattle when I was at Berkeley. She said, do you know my daughter, Shirley? I said, yes. I know her. She said, can you contact her? I said, yes. Tell her I'm coming down there this afternoon. I said, I'll do so. Thank you. I called her on the phone. She said, I don't want to see her. I said, you're going to see her. I said, don't you hang up on me either. She said, I can't see her here. I said, I know you can't. You're living over there with two men. They're treating you like a sheep, you little sheep whore. I said, you can't. You, you're going to see your mother. She's coming down here and you want to see her. She said, I, I won't see her. I said, if you don't go, if you don't go, if you don't see her either there uptown, you're going to have me and George shout out. You're not going anywhere, and I'm not going to be right on your uh, right on your footsteps. You can rest and put me in jail, but I'll be on, be the next morning with you, and I'll tell you about your sin every day of the week. And I'm coming on that right now. You're not planning to go and see her, and start on your front doorsteps and start preaching. If they put those men beat me up, they'll go to jail, and I and I'll go to the, go to the hospital, but I'll still preach to you the truth. I said, don't hang up on me. She said, where can I see her at? I said, I'll tell, make the arrangements. I told her the cafe she could meet her up there at a certain time. I knew her plane would drive there when she'd get there in every detail. So I made the arrangement for her to see her mother. After that, mother called on the phone and said, Holy Hubert, my daughter said she didn't want you to bug her anymore. And didn't want me to bug her anymore. She didn't want me around. She didn't want you around. Don't want me to bug her anymore. I said, I'll call her on the phone. Oh, don't do that. She's a good girl, but just don't understand. I said to myself, good thing she don't ask me what I thought of her daughter. I said, I'll call her. I hung up. I called this daughter on the phone, and I said, Now, don't you cut me off! I want to tell you, your mother thinks you're a good woman. I think you're a little cheap whore. I said, You're rotten, morally rotten. You're destroying your mind, destroying your body, smoking your marijuana, and, and, and you said you don't, didn't want me to bug you. The last time I had that said to me was a girl right here. Her mother came from Phoenix, Arizona, and came in here and tried to contact her daughter, and I made the arrangement for her to contact her daughter. 
Our daughter told me the same words you did. You, you told your mother you didn't want me to bug you anymore and didn't want mother to bug you. We can't bug her now. She's in hell. She took my brother drugs and jumped out of a window and I seen her brain smash out on Telegraph Avenue and cried over her. I don't want to cry over you. Don't you cut me off. I'll be over at your apartment. I don't want to cry and weep over you. You destroyed yourself. You have everything that's good about you, everything that's decent, everything that can be clean and be happy and contented in life, you destroy. The kind of life you're living is a hard life. You're wrecking yourself, body, mind, and soul, and being. I said, I want to pray for you. I bowed my head and started praying. I got crying and weeping. And on the other end of the line, I heard that woman, the girl say, Hubert, can, can I hang up now? She said, I thank you, and hung up. She gave her comfort. She gave her heart to God. But the attitude that that mother had is the attitude that the church has got towards sinful people. Light! Come on. Light! No death! No holy God to answer to! No God that hates sin! The church is responsible because they don't make it clear that men without Christ are totally evil. There's none that doeth good, nor not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongue is full of deceit. The part of this present of their lips. Come on. When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Come on. They have no holiness. They have no goodness. They have no righteousness. They don't do good. They're Christ rejecting. And when you reject Christ, you reject holiness and righteousness. Sinful people don't hear me. They are constantly rejecting the truth. And the only way in the world they're going to be saved is by you winning them. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Who does the persuade? We do. Come on. I could teach you to prosper the, every day of your existence on planet Earth if I didn't tell you about the Savior's love and His death on the cross. I was, I, as a Christian, I failed God. Come on. I could teach you the blessings of God upon you, what would happen to your life, but I had better tell you about your wickedness and your unholiness and your need of a Savior to make you clean and make you pure. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Glory. I want to make it clear to you tonight that the Spirit of God does His work painful. He reveals the guilt. Bible said he had reproved the world of sin. What kind of sin? I'll sin because they grieve not on me. I went to a faith conference one time. I don't think they ever want to invite me again back. Most of the most of the faith conferences I found in this country are good Christian men, but they're just as ignorant of the Bibles as I am about hydrogen bomb. Probably know more about hydrogen bomb than they know about the Bible. 
They're good entertainers, all right. They make people laugh. Well, it, that don't prove you're holy because you make people laugh or that you're carrying on the work of God. You can hand out mirrors and make most of the crowd nowadays laugh. <laughs> Preaching the truth, brother, is what the world needs. I went to this faith conference and a man, brother, sat there and uh, uh, dined with him that evening and he looked up on the table and he said, uh, as another brother approached him, and said, I don't know what I'm going to preach on this evening. He said, I never heard you talk that way. He said, you didn't hear Holy Hubert's message today, did you? He said, no, I didn't. He said, I'm going to get that tape. I've got to get that tape. He said, what did you preach on, Hubert? I said, doubt. Go to a faith conference and teach doubt? I said, yes. What are you going to preach on tomorrow morning? I said, doubt. <laughs> what are you going to preach on Saturday night? I said, doubt. Why are you preaching on doubt at a faith conference? I said, because I want to be on the side of the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. I want to be on the side of the Holy Spirit. He comes to reprove the world of sin. Of sin because they believe not. Of sin because they believe not. Of sin because they believe not on me. Read it now. The Spirit comes to say they rejected Jesus. Come on. Look past your mad well around about you rejects Christ. And as long as the church is getting on a getting on idea, you bless me and I bless you program, they're not going to consider that. Come on. We're living in an age and hour in which the Holy Spirit has been grieved, grieved, grieved. Because men have got on the blessing program all along the line. They're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Come on. They get on the side of the new birth. They get on the side of the new the gifts. They get on the side of healing. They get on the side of divine healing. They get on the side of miracles. They get on the side of miracles. They get on the side of the glory and presence of the Lord. They get on the sides of heaven. When there's more sinners on the other side, the doubt, the unbelief, the skepticism, the drunkenness, the lewdness, the sensuality, the dirty life, and everything, we're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Come on. Hallelujah. I want you to catch this. A sin because they believe not. A righteousness because I go to my Father. A judgment because the prince of this world judged. It leaves a sinner having rejected the Holy One. It leaves a sinner without an example because Christ went to the Father. It leaves a sinner without any wholeness. And it leaves him fit for the judgment of an angry God. All the Holy Spirit does in the world is to tell the world you are guilty, you are unholy, you are filthy, and you are under judgment. The message of the Holy Spirit is condemnation. We don't want to preach that. We want to preach something beautiful. Come on. Got the wrong picture. I've known revivals probably as no other man in this nation's known. 
Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. God's opened my heart to the fact that men without Christ are totally unholy, totally filthy, totally corrupt. There's not a religion on earth that can teach them a set of rules to go by they wouldn't break. If they're Buddhists, they would not follow the eight steps of the path. If they were Jew, they would not keep the 613 laws of Moses. Come on. They were Christian science, they couldn't even think right. Just to get it clear to you right now. Man is a Christ rejecter. He is despised and rejected of man. The Spirit Christ says to the world, You're guilty. You're rejecting the Holy One. You reject righteousness. You reject holiness. You reject the judgment. Just coming on your pathway. What's the church supposed to tell him? <laughs> He's a, he loves you and died for you. Come on. What's the church supposed to tell him? You're guilty, but he'll pardon. You're saved, but he'll free. You're sick, but he'll heal you. <laughs> Glory. You have knees, but he'll meet those knees. Come on. Faith is built upon the message given to us concerning the death of Christ, his burial and resurrection. I want to inform you right now. You will, when, uh, under the grace covenant, you, the Holy Spirit teaches men to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Under law, they compare natural things with spiritual things. You go back under the law, every time you're trying to get an idea of sowing and reaping, you go back under the law most. Uh-oh. Come on. See, faith, brother, is originated out of the custom of Jewish law and out of the law of Moses and the Levitical covenant, and that is contrary to the language of the Bible. Come on. You're not in a process of sowing anything. God sowed something in you that will bring forth fruit. Come on. In Christianity, it is what God does in the human soul. Blessed be his name forever. Paul said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He said, He is all things to all men that I might win some. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Come on. How can he hear without a preacher? How can he preach unless he be sent? You know, that passage is often misunderstood. <laughs> I have had some people, so many people have got the wrong attitude about confession and faith there. In the first part of that passage, he says, Israel saw it not by faith. They saw it by keeping law. And when Moses started to die, when Moses started to die, he had given them the law, of Moses, the law of Moses, and he started to pass on on the other scene. He made this unusual statement: "Say not in thy heart, who shall ascend?" And he didn't mean to go to heaven. Who shall ascend up there and receive the law? Come on. Or who's going to go across the waters to receive the law? Come on. Had to cross over the river Jordan, cross my brother over the river Jordan to receive the law. But he said the word, the word of the law is in your heart and in your mind, and that we taught you see. And Moses had already taught them the law, and Paul uses that as a beautiful illustration of the fact that the Gentile believers in the city of Car of Rome 
already had the law, had the law, uh, the word of faith already in their hearts. The reason they had a message to confess was because they had already received the message. Come on. A lot of people get the impression I've got to confess, confess in order to have the message, confess in order to have the reality. Sickly watch. You don't confess to get anything. You confess to a world can know Christ. The law was given to Israel that they might propagate it to the rest of the world. They received the law in order to teach it to other men, and their lips and their heart was in their very mouth. The word of the law that Moses had given them, and they would have propagated it on down to the pages of history. So there is right now, by the grace of God given us, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is given to us. And for that reason, we confess with our mouth, and we believe in our heart, and God says that this is done. Come on. Some people get the impression that Paul's talking about a bunch of unbelievers there confess with their mouth. And the church world is using that to a bunch of sinners. church world is applying those verses to the unsaved. And that's a sickening thought. Come on. You see, if you believe in Jesus as Lord, you're going to confess it with your lips. No man can say Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Read Corinthians 12, chapter verse 2. Read it. Unless you have the work of the Spirit of God, you can't say He's Lord even. Come on. You can't do it. When you acknowledge Him as Lord, you recognize He's raised from the grave. He's alive in God's right hand. And the world will never know Jesus Christ unless they know it from your lips. From your confession. Your confession is to a world. It's not to benefit you and bless you primarily. No, it's because God has done something in your heart and you tell the world about it. Paul said we believe before we speak. We have to believe before we speak. Nowadays, they're, they're, believing, they're, they're speaking without believing even. I want to get it here right now. If you're trying to muster up faith, forget it. If you're trying to grow up a process of faith, forget it. The only thing that ever give you faith is the message. Come on. What message? Read it in the latter part of that passage. What he uh, tells you the message is all about. Boy, he says, faith, come it by hearing you remember the word of a word of God. Read the verse in front of me. Who hath believed our report? It's a distinct promise is given in the law of Moses concerning the death of Christ and his burial and resurrection. You know, you'd be surprised. I, I've, I've been preaching 55 years. And a lot of the time I've preached on radio many, many, many years. But right now, and I, I've never heard a gospel sermon on TV yet. Did you know that? I've never heard a gospel sermon on TV yet. I asked a group of faith teachers one time, what's the, go- oh, what's the gospel? One of them said the good news. I said, that's kid stuff. That, that was his, 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 what he believed the gospel was about. And that's just about the knowledge that some more people have got. They don't know the book. And since they don't know the book, they just get around and say, the gospel's the good news. Is that all? 
What does the Bible say the gospel is? Another one of the men said and said the gospel is the death of Christ, the burial and resurrection. I said, no, you're wrong again. I said, you men don't know the Bible. They're at a faith conference too. I want to get it clear right now to you. I said, you don't know the Bible? And you don't know what the gospel is. You claim to be preached for years. You don't still know what it is. What is the gospel? The gospel is according to Corinthians 15, verse 1, 2, and 3. Over, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach, wherein you stand, which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory, which also I received at the first, how Christ did die for our sin according to the Scripture. And then he was buried and rose the third day according to the Scripture. The man was right about part of that. He said Christ died, was buried, and rose. But that's not the God, full gospel. The full gospel is that he died according to the Scripture. Come on. That he was buried according to the Scripture. That he was raised according to the Scripture. Come on. And I asked these three men to give me Scripture in the Bible on the resurrection of Jesus. And they all, one of them could give only three verses. The other gives six. And that's all they can give. I said, you don't know many of the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning his burial and resurrection, do you? How in the world can you build a man up in faith if you don't know the prophecies of the Bible dealing with his burial and resurrection? Come on. They, and you can't build them up in faith. They can listen to you 50 years, be entertained by you, but you never build their faith up. Come on. Then they asked me how many verses I could quote. I said, I'll give you 1,800 on this burial and resurrection if you want it. They're all right. People don't get on the radio and preach that he died for sin according to the Scripture. They don't preach the apostles of the Bible that pointing to a Savior's death on the cross. Come on, they don't preach that. They don't give the public Isaiah's prophecy. They don't give the public uh, the book of Moses' prophecy. They don't give the prophecy of Moses in 49 chapter of Genesis. They don't give my brother the Isaiah's prophecy, uh, uh, Zechariah's prophecy, and Zechariah where they pierce his hands and his feet. They don't talk about the suffering servant of Isaiah. Uh, Psalms 22, come on. They just don't give all those, uh, those, those promises of a Savior coming to the world to believe and die and rise. But the reason they don't give it, they don't know it. On Easter morning, yesterday morning, 90% of the sermons taken in the United States were taken from Corinthians 15 on the resurrection sermon. Come on. They couldn't take the resurrection and preach it from the Old Testament record. Because they don't know it. You get acquainted with the prophecies of the Bible pointing to this death, burial, and resurrection and tell your loved ones that Christ died according to the prophecy of Isaiah. He died according to the prophecy of Moses. He died according to the prophecies of uh, the psalmist. He died according to the prophecies of Zechariah. He died according to the promises of my brother given Jeremiah. Come on. Oh. You can point those promises to them. They'll have reason to believe in Jesus. I turned to a Jewish rabbi. Standing before that Jewish rabbi, I'd given him every prophecy of the Old Testament I could think of. I was just a young preacher. He told me about the, about the Torah, and I didn't know what he's talking about. Of course, that means law. But I didn't know what, I was so ignorant, I didn't know what the word Torah meant. 
I turned to him and I said, I'm going to ask you a final few questions and I'm going to leave you, brother, my friend. I'd asked him, do you believe Jesus was a prophet? He said, sometimes I think he was. I said, you think he's a, you think he, uh, he's, he said, do you believe he's a, uh, uh, he said he's the greatest teacher of the Talmud, uh, greatest Talmudic teacher that ever lived. And he taught the Torah. And I, he talking language I didn't know. And I said, sir, may I ask you a question? You believe him to be God? Oh, no, 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 no. No. I said, sir, you believe him to be the Messiah? Oh, no, 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 no. I said, sir, I asked you a question in Babylon. I finally got down to this passage. I said, in Babylon, could the Jew put a Jew to death? If he violated religious laws. He said, yes. I said, could a Jew put a Jew to death in the Medo-Persian kingdom? When Israel was a slave to the Medo-Persian kingdom, if the Jew violated the law of Moses, could they put him to death? He said, yes, they could. The Medo-Persians allowed him to put the Jew to death if he violated the law. What about the Greek, Greek government? Alexander the Great granted his great religious liberty. And if a man violated the law of Moses, uh, when we were slaves to Babylon, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, they, uh, the Jewish nation could execute that man. I said, what about Rome? Could the Jew put a Jew to death in Rome? He said, no. I said, you just admitted Christ was a Messiah. He said, I didn't. I said, you did. I said, except to the book of Genesis, the 49 chapter and verse 10 said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet till shallow come. I said, for 2,300 years, the nation of uh, the kingdom of Judah had a legal right to execute a man, and you just testified to that. They lost that legal uh, that right in the wrong. When they lost that right, Phyllis the Roman historian writes in his annuals, Lo, the scepter, that the high priest in Jerusalem said, Lo, the scepter departed from Judah, and the Messiah's not come. The heathen historian acknowledged that Judaism acknowledged that the scepter departed from the nation, and the Messiah not come. And the Messiah would come, and the scepter departed. Come on. I said, God would allow Israel to reject the Savior, but never allow the Jew to put him to death. He said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I said, sir, the scepter departed from Judah. The scepter departed from Judah. Christ was the Messiah. The scepter departed from Judah. And I left him saying that, God bless you, my friend. I walked away. He couldn't get over it. He went to his library. He, I quoted the, the Roman historian. He took the amulets, uh, Roman historian's amulets down and read it. He searched it and he had to acknowledge that the rabbi made that statement that said they departed from Judah and the Messiah's not come. He read the book of, of, of Genesis over where that passage is found. 49 chapter Genesis verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Uh, uh, not a lawgiver between his feet till shallow come. He read that and he read it and he read it. And he studied it about, uh, about 9 o'clock at night. His wife called him and said, I've got to have, have this matter settled. We have a cock went around and she said, aren't you coming home? I'm not going to come home that I know. Four o'clock in the morning, she called him again and said, Dear, it's getting late. 
said, I know that, but don't tell me I've got to find this out. About 11 o'clock in the daytime, he found Jesus Christ to his salvation of his soul. The next Saturday night when I was preaching in the Presbyterian church, sir, at the back of the church was this rabbi and his wife. I walked back to make him acquainted with the, the pastor acquainted with us. I said, sorry, my uh, good friend, uh, I, I, Rabbi, I, I, can't, I can't recall your name. I'm sorry. He said, don't call me, Rabbi. Call me brother. He traveled 15 and a half years with me. You hear me a moment or two. I want to make it clear to you the thing that he, how did faith come to hear it? How did faith come to him? By hearing, he heard a word, a word according to what? The prophet's statement concerning who? Jesus. Come on. That's how faith, brother, that's the reason from then on he confessed Christ has been raised from the dead. I said that to you, that you will not point men to the Savior. You will, unless you point men to the Savior, they have no other way of reaching God. The body of Christ is the only means that men can be saved. Through Christ, God cannot deal outside His body the church. The Holy Spirit wants to use you to give the message. And a world outside these doors can never know God Outside of you, your testimony, your testimony, your witness, it must be heard in the marketplace. It must be heard in the cafe. It must be heard at the grocery store. It must be heard in all places. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. When God, when I found Jesus as a young lad, Fifteen years old, my heart was settled far. I can't understand people that claim faith in Christ and do very little, so little about the gospel. I just can't understand it. God set me on fire, and around the city of Birmingham and every place I preached Christ. Set it in the Cadillac car, medical doctor at head of the Hillman Hospital. Had just been fornicating with another man's wife in the whole same hotel I was preaching in front of. I didn't have many people that day, but he gave his heart to God. He never seen me from the day he got saved to 28, 28 years later. When I went down in Kenya and Africa, he put his big arms around my neck and cried like a baby. He had given his heart to Christ. And had been there for 28 years, ministering the gospel. Had the greatest ministry Kenyans ever had. Arnold, my brother, gave his heart to God out of a hotel winter because he was drunk the night before <laughs> and stayed on a drunk and he saw me preaching on 2nd Avenue and 20, 24th Street in Birmingham, Alabama. And that was on a Friday and I didn't have much of a crowd. But he said, look at that fool down there, sit down. He hollered at me even out of the window and said that fool down there preaching to nothing but a few stagnant people on the sidewalk, hardly nobody listening to him. He said, but why would he do a thing like that? And he got convicted of it and troubled about it and gave his heart to God. He was in Miami, Egypt for more than 18 to 20 years, missionary for the cause of Jesus. Come on. 
I like that. I've hit the man that I, the young black boy that I tried to kill with a gun before I got saved. I tried to, I, I tried to kill him because he hit me in the head with a, hit me with a rock. When I was playing football, I wasn't minding my own business. Hit me with a rock and I got a gun and ran him down in the black community and I ordered him out one of the, under the house, uh, out one of the house. His own mother told him to come out, said he won't shoot you. And then found out what it's all about. Said you, you come in the house, sir. I want you to see me whoop that boy. And she, she laid it on him, <laughs> or hit me with a rock. <laughs> and right next, next door was a blind man, or an old blind man that could quote Bible hour after hour. I went down there and talking with him one day, and he sat there, and we enjoyed a fellowship talking about God's Word. And he said, I said, why not preach out here on your porch? Would you let me preach your porch? He said, I'd be delighted. Go, go ahead, preacher. And I went on ahead and preached, and every afternoon I'd go down there to that black community and preach, and they'd gather around. And this boy that I was going to try to kill, he got saved. Hallelujah! All over the city of Birmingham, I was privileged to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people find God. I knocked on the doors of more than 60,000 homes in the city of Birmingham to win the loss for God. Come on. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I tell you right now, the Spirit of the Lord gets hold to you like you ought to. You will testify. He'll testify me, and ye also shall, not my can or should, but ye shall bear witness. Come on. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall, not can, not should, not might, but you shall be witness unto me. Come on. The Spirit moves, you'll move. The reason a lot of you never witnessed with Christ, you are not conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You live a half-shot life. The only time you feel the presence of the Spirit is when you go to a meeting house somewhere. Amen? The only time you get disturbed and excited is when you go down to a church somewhere. You ought to get excited in the home. You ought to get excited in the buildings. You ought to get excited on the street corner. You ought to get excited in the marketplaces. I preach in jail. I preach out of jail. I preach through jail bars. I preached on trains, I preached on buses, I preached in airplanes, I preached on, uh, on submarines, I preached on battleships, I preached on every kind of vehicle you can think on planet Earth. I preached the drunkards fighting on one side and two hound dogs howling on the other side. But God kept me doing a job, and let me inform you right now. Men and women are not going to give, find Christ without it. And if you live with the presence of the Spirit and start testifying to Christ, there's no fear. And if you've got fear, you need the presence of the Lord in your life. Come on. You say, I don't know which way to turn. You need the direction of the Spirit of God in your life. Come on. I know the will of God and I'm doing it. <laughs> Glory. I want to inform you right now. Your life can be a life of everlasting happiness and contentment because you can be in God's will. Know you're in God's will. Know if you die, you go to heaven. Come on. The hardest thing I have had to do in life was to preach on hell when I had my heart full of heaven. <laughs> Glory. God wants you to be a happy person every day of your existence to walk with the King. Come on. 
The reason there was no period because of the fact that I was let, I let God take over. Come on. God takes your life over lock, stock, and barrel from the top of your head, the sole of your feet. You haven't got any fear anymore. And your trouble and the reason you, you're afraid to witness to people is because you live a half-shod life. Most of the people, my brother, are afraid of the public, live, live in fornication. Uh-oh. Why are you so quiet, Paul? If you're afraid to witness, you don't want to witness because the people around you, you've been living sinful in their presence and you know you can't afford to witness. Come on. You know, they know you too well. Some fellow said, well, I did it. I don't, I'd rather live it than keep quiet about it. I said, the way you live, you, no wonder you're quiet about it. I live like you live. I wouldn't open my mouth about Jesus Christ. <laughs> Glory! I want to make it conclusive the fact that if point, the only way you know Hubert is because of the body that I'm in. You see these hands. You see these feet. Take the hands from my body and I'm less, less, uh, you'll be less conscious of me. Take the body from my, me and you, uh, you will be conscious of me my presence at all. Come on. The only way you can know that the body of Christ is here on earth is that Jesus Christ is manifested in his body. Only way you can know Jesus is through his body. I give you this in a close. The Bible speaks in Revelations, the uh, Revelations, and in him who hath loved us and washed our sins in his own precious blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God. Your Greek says king-priest. No priest could be a king in Israel. Come on. And no king could be a priest. Uzziah, the 19th king of Judah, thought he could be a priest, went in the temple, laid hold to the horns of the altar, and took leprosy took hold of him, and he died. And was not even buried among his fathers. You can't be a priest and king at the same time unless you get under the dispensation of grace. You've got to get under the grace of God and be a priest to the king, too. A priest was the only vehicle that God had to, where Israel had to go through the priesthood to get to Jehovah. Come on. And the only way the world can get to Christ is through you, the church, the body of Christ. That's the priesthood. Come on. The world has to come through you because you're the priest of God. A holy priesthood, too. You're also a king. You, you have the authority to rule. You can rule by His authority over every situation of life you live under. Come on. The devil piles things upon you. You can exercise His authority. And one of the saddest pictures on planet Earth today, we're taught that the believer's got authority. And that's a sad picture. The believers haven't got authority. He's got all of it. Come on. Some people get egotistical and high-minded, and the devil slaps them down right and left, simply because they believe they've got authority. Amen, oh my. I want to tell you right now, I don't have any authority, but Jesus has got authority over every demon, every devil, and every archangel, and angel, and seraphim, and cherubim, 
And everything on earth and everything in time and everything in eternity. <laughs> Glory. Jesus got all authority. I don't take any authority. I acknowledge His. Oh, I'm getting blessed. <laughs> when the devil comes around and try to trouble me, I say, Shut up, devil! Shut up! I'm God's child. I'm redeemed by the blood. I belong to the King. <laughs> Glory! He purchased me. He's got authority over you, devil. Shut up! Go to hell. I have wonderful victory and have had victory all along. <laughs> you couldn't imagine a man rushing to an audience of 35,000 people, 10,000 wanted to kill him. Take the platform with the bunch of radicals and use their own PA system to preach the gospel. One professor called me a one-man's army. He didn't know I had an elder brother along. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to let you know life is beautiful and life is sweet. And life can be better for you when you live in boldness. Live without fear. Fear is against faith. You cannot believe in Jesus be afraid. Come on. If I was afraid that I'd eyes and never be open, I'd be a very miserable person. <laughs> but I'm not, I guarantee you, I'm not chewing my fingernails. They need to be cut thick, by the way. Uh, I'm not pulling my hair out either. I'm not afraid of the future. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> no fear there when you believe in God and you're trusting Him. No fear, my brother, of the future of the world you live in. Not afraid of the stock market crumbling and falling apart. You know who controls the stock market and it's not, not the rich men of this country. You believe that stock market is controlled by humanity? You should be afraid. You'd be in trouble spot. And if you believe the military is controlled, the military might of the world is controlled by men, you would ought to be afraid. Man, that would be scary. I want to let you know, since I believe that everything is controlled by my Jesus, uh, he's got control of human. Hallelujah! Excuse me for getting so nauseous. <laughs> I want to let you know, since I believe He controls everything, <laughs> I haven't got any, I have got not, not one moment's discouragement in life. Not one moment. I've got everything to look forward to. <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah. I don't want to hold you in alarm. I just want to let you know right now, if you really believe that it's all important what you do, what the Spirit of the Lord leads you to do about testifying, come on, confessing Christ. The church is always faithful. You're in the church by faith in Christ Jesus. Come on. You're a member of that body by faith. You walk by faith. You live by faith. You stand by faith. You move by faith. And you are only in the Spirit as you have faith in Christ. Come on. And when you have moved by the Spirit of the Lord with faith in Christ, you testify. The church never fails. It always bears witness. Come on. 
It always never fails. Hallelujah. Tomorrow night when we touch on faith, uh, we touch my brother on, on the uh, uh, touch on the difference between the kingdom and uh, kingdom and the church. You're going to see something entirely different. Hallelujah. Blessed be his name forever. Oh, blessed be his name. I believe if you've got the right understanding concerning the world around about you, you'll not think it strange when a man is blind for the gospel. You expect that from the world. Come on. You'll not think it strange when the world hates you. You'll not think it strange when they give you a hot tongue and cold shoulder. Come on. You'll not think it strange when you're buffeted about by godless men. It is better the will of God you suffer well doing than for evil doing. Marvel not if the world hate you. Come on. In the world know us not because it knew him not. Come on, read it. The world don't recognize us because it didn't recognize him. Are you recognized by the world? You're in a bad shame. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be recognized by the king. <laughs> Glory. I know I've got his favor in my life. You've got a need tonight. God's able to meet that need and we'll meet it. Come on. There may be somebody here that needs the Savior, needs his love, needs the forgiveness of sins. You've been rejecting Jesus too long. You left Christ out of your life too long. You need to know that your sin is forgiven. You need to know that every transgression is removed. You believe in Jesus, but you never had the certainty. The assurance by the Spirit that you're a child of God. You never had the witness of the Spirit in your heart that you're the, that you have belonged to Jesus Christ. Now is the time when you can have that assurance. Come on. And if you're here in this audience and you have went back on God and failed God, and you want to come back to Jesus Christ and let God take kiss away your sins, now is the time. If you've got a sick body, come on. He'll heal you. Amen.